Chapter Fourteen of Grace Harlowe's Third Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: Planning the Christmas Dinner. The ensuing days before Christmas were filled to the brim with business for Grace and Arline, who had been making secret tours of investigation about Overton with regard to the girls who were not going to their homes or to friends for the vacation. The managers at Martell's and Vinton's had been interviewed, and both proprietors had agreed to furnish practically the same dinner at the same price, which was considerably more than fifty cents, and was to be paid privately from Arline's own pocket money. "'I feel like a conspirator,' confided Arline to Grace as the two girls sat at the library table in the living room at Wayne Hall late one afternoon going over a long list of names and addresses which they had obtained by dint of much walking and inquiry. "'But it is such a delightful conspiracy,' reminded Grace. "'One doesn't often conspire to make other people happy. I hope the girls will fall in readily with your plan.' "'I shall never be as wise as a serpent,' smiled Arline, "'and as diplomatic as—as Miriam Nesbit. She is the most diplomatic person I ever knew.' "'Isn't she, though?' agreed Grace, smilingly. "'Yes, my dear Daffy Downdilly, you have a delicate task before you. Playing Lady Bountiful to the girls who were left behind without them suspecting you won't be easy. There are certain girls who would languish in their rooms all day rather than accept a mouthful of food that savoured of charity. I don't believe our eight girls ever suspected us of playing Santa Claus to them last year.' "'Oh, I'm certain they never knew,' returned Arline quickly. Of course, there was a remote chance that they and the various girls who contributed might compare notes. But those who gave presents and money were in honour bound not to ask questions or even discuss the matter among themselves. I know the Morton House girls never said a word, too. Neither did the Wayne Hallites, rejoined Grace. Even Miriam, Anne and Elfreda asked no questions. Doesn't it seem wonderful to think that girls can be so splendidly impersonal and honourable? commented Arline admiringly. College is the very place to cultivate that attitude. Living up to college traditions means being honourable in the highest sense of the word. There are plenty of girls who come here without realising what being an Overton girl means until they find themselves face to face with the fact that their standards are not high enough. That is why one hears so much about finding oneself. College is like a great mirror. When one first enters it, one takes a quick glance at oneself and is pleased with the effect. Later, when one stops for a more comprehensive survey, one discovers all sorts of imperfections, and it takes four years of constant striving with one's self, as well as one's studies, to make a satisfactory reflection. "'What a quaint ideal!' exclaimed Grace. "'We might evolve a play from that and call it the Magic Mirror. That would be a stunt for a show. Miriam Nesbit could do a college girl. She looks apart. But here I am miles off my subject. Suppose we go back to our girls.' How are you going to propose the dinner plan, Arline? I'm going to wait until every last girl that is going home has departed, bag and baggage, then I shall post a bulletin on the board, asking all the stay-heres to meet me in the gymnasium, planned Arline. I shall say that as I am going to stay over, and didn't fancy eating my Christmas dinner alone, I thought perhaps the girls who had no particular plans for the day would like to join me at either Martell's or Vinton's. Then I'll explain about the price of the dinner, etc., all in a perfectly off-hand manner, and let them do the rest. There are anywhere from one to two hundred girls who live at the various rooming and boarding houses who will be glad to come. Many of them have never been inside either Vinton's or Martell's. You would hardly believe it, but it's true. 
I do believe it, said Grace soberly. It seems a shame, too, when I think of the amount of time and money we spend there. Well, I haven't grown philanthropic enough to give up going to either one, declared Arline. They are my havens of refuge when Morton House cooking deteriorates, as it frequently does. Ask me for my cloak or even my best new pumps, but don't tear me away from my favorite haunts. I won't, promised Grace. I'm afraid I feel the same. No chance for reformation along that line. Shall we send the eight girls gifts or a present of money this year, or both? I suspect they have all borrowed from the Semper Fidelis Fund this year, was Arline's quick answer. Suppose we send presents and ask our club girls alone to contribute toward them. If everyone we asked gave two dollars apiece, that would mean twenty-four dollars. We could invest it in gloves, neckwear, and pretty things that most poor girls are obliged to do without. We gave money last year because those girls had no one to help them. This year Semper Fidelis stands behind them. Besides, someone might find it out this time. I said I was certain they never knew, but I always had a curious idea that Miss Barlow suspected you, Grace. Whenever I meet her, she always speaks of you with positive reverence. A flush rose to Grace's face. How ridiculous, she murmured. You were the real heroine of that adventure. Have you decided on your program for the week yet? Only the costume party in a basketball game if we can scare up two teams, and a winter picnic at Hunter's Rock if it isn't too cold, a play if we can gather up enough actors, and a dance in the gymnasium. I'm going to give an afternoon tea, and that's all, I think. They'll have to amuse themselves the rest of the time, finished Arline with a sigh. There are so many ifs attached to my plans. I predict a busy two weeks for you, said Grace, but then... From the room adjoining, which opened into the living room and was used as a parlour, came the sound of a slight cough. Grace was on her feet in an instant. With a bound, she sprang toward the curtain archway, and pushing it aside, peered sharply into the room. It was empty. "'Did you hear someone cough, Arline?' she asked anxiously. "'Yes,' replied Arline, who had joined her. "'The sound came from in here, didn't it?' "'So I imagined,' declared Grace in a puzzled tone. Perhaps it came from the hall. No one could have escaped from here before I reached the door without my hearing them. It startled me because we had been talking so confidentially. I glanced in as we passed the door when we went into the living room and there wasn't a soul in sight. Whoever coughed a few moments ago must have slipped into the room and slipped out again. Then whoever it was has heard the very thing we didn't wish known, exclaimed Arline in consternation. Now I can't carry out any of my plans. How perfectly dreadful! Perhaps it was Mrs. Elwood, said Grace hopefully. Mrs. Elwood is far too stout to walk so lightly and vanish so rapidly, discouraged Arline. It must have been someone who was trying to hear. If that is the case, the person is in this house and must be found and sworn to secrecy, said Grace sternly. I'm afraid we were talking too loudly. However, the person may have only come as far as the door, then passed on upstairs. Suppose we go up and ask all the girls. We shall feel better satisfied, and they won't object to being interviewed. But all efforts to locate the accidental or intentional listener failed. Many of the girls had not yet come in from their classes, and those whom Grace found in their rooms had evidently been there for some time. Kathleen West was among those still out. Miss Ainsley informed her visitors of this fact with an unmistakable sigh of relief that Grace interpreted with a slight smile. 
As she went slowly down the stairs to the living room, followed by Arline, whose baby face wore an expression of deepest gloom, the doorbell rang, and the maid admitted the newspaper girl. She swept past the two juniors who stood at the foot of the stairs without the slightest sign of recognition, and neither girl saw the look of triumph that animated her face the instant she had turned her back upon them and hurried up the stairs. "'What shall we do?' asked Arline, as once more they seated themselves at the library table opposite each other. "'We can't do anything until we find the girl who listened, and the question is, how are we going to find her?' Grace made a little gesture of despair. Arline shrugged her dainty shoulders. "'I don't know. Perhaps she will never repeat what she has heard. Curiosity alone may have prompted her to listen. We may be agreeably disappointed.' Grace shook her head. "'I wish I could believe that,' she said. "'I don't wish to croak, but I have a curious conviction that the person who listened had a motive deeper than mere curiosity.'" End of chapter 14 Recording by Ashley Jane